uh, vending machines. You either love them or you hate them. I've got a guy in my youth, he says, Jacques, uh, at, my, at my school, if I put in three five rand coins, two gives me one Coke. If I put in three, I get two. So I was like, that's nice, you know, you know, I said, you know that's stealing. He says, he says no, he reckons it's a discount. <laughs> How awesome is it when vending machines work like that? I mean, you put in one thing, you get more than you even, even thought you could get. So now I've got a question for you. Does anyone want anything from this vending machine? I've got some, I've got some stuff that I want to give away for free, by the way. I can see hands in the back there, but you're far, you can come close to give. Mike, what would you like? What would you like from that vending machine? A cold, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be cold, I bought it this morning. Let me, I do have a cold Coke, actually. Slightly warm Coke, you want it? Can I chuck it? I won't. <laughs> come grab it. Anyone else? In the back there, okay. What would you like? Sweet, so, so I've, got, I've got chocolate, you want a chocolate? Okay, come get it. Which flavor would you like? A text. So, can I give you, can I give you a bar one? Okay, that's not a bar one. But you can have it anyway. Enjoy. Anyone else over here? What would you like? <laughs> Sanitizer is free. You can grab that on the way out. You said a chocolate. Would you like a chocolate? Come grab one. Come grab one. All right, what flavor would you like? I've got TV bar. I've got two TV bars. Do you like a TV bar? Here you go. <laughs> How bad is it when you put in your money and then you think when that little swirly thing starts spinning, you're going to get a packet of, or, or a TV bar, then a packet of chips falls out. That's my worst. Anyway, anyone else? Last one, last one. What would you like, Steve? Uh, okay. No, sorry, I changed my mind. You, you can't get anything. You can't get anything, sorry. No, I'm out. That's even worse. When you put your money in, that little thing gets you anticipating you're gonna get a, whatever Steve just asked for and then nothing falls out. Hey, what do you do in that moment? Like, do you shake the machine? Because then it looks like you're stealing or what do you do? Do you kick Janice in? <laughs> Janice says you kick it. I don't know if that's very Christ-like. She's one of our elders, by the way. What do you do? See the manager? I don't know. The reality is, that's annoying for everybody. Let's hit the pause button there. We fin we're finishing a series called Winsome. Winsome today. And um, the whole idea with Winsome is where Paul says, I become all things to all men so that I may win some. Win some. And the whole idea is that we want to reach the world for Jesus. We want to win as many people for Christ as possible. So in the last session of the series, and I'm going to be speaking on something that, that I find challenging. Since the day I became a Christian, and, and right up until now, I've been grappling with a concept around this thing, and um, I, I, I mean, I haven't worked it out yet. I think I'm, I'm just, just, just starting to, to scratch the surface, barely, and um, I'm going to be talking about prayer this morning. The reality is with prayer that everybody knows they should be doing it. Few people do. And it seems like when it comes to prayer, not many people actually know how to pray and see things happen. What is the thing with that? So I've always been challenged by prayer because so many things that I've asked for, I haven't received. Is that because I'm praying incorrectly? Is that because I don't have faith? And, and what's this whole thing about? So I'm going to take some time this morning. At least the first half is going to be around the subject of prayer. Second part is going to be how this relates to winsome, to winsome. 
Um, prayer for me is like manna. For, like manna. So if you've been a Christian for long, you know what manna is, I hope. Um, if you haven't been a Christian for long, you may not know what manna is, or if you haven't been coming to church or Christian at all, you, don't, you, might, you might have no clue what manna is. So let me give you some context. The nation of Israel were slaves in Egypt. Israel was God's chosen people. They were slaves in Egypt, and then God frees them, and then he leads them through the desert just before they get into the, um, the promised land, and while they were in the desert, they were there for 40 years, and God provided for them while they were there, and he gave them manna. Manna. So I've heard many descriptions of what manna looks like, what it tastes like, and you may have heard some of this as well, but when I, it's basically described as bread. Manna is like bread. Um, I've heard someone say it looks like flakes. It looks like flakes, and, and maybe it does. They just, I've heard people describe it as white. It looks like snow. I've heard some people say it tastes like honey. And uh, the question is, what is this whole thing about manna? And that, for me, is why prayer is like manna. Because we sort of know what it is, but I haven't, just, I haven't quite figured it out yet. And I'm gonna keep seeking God till the day I die and as I grow this relationship that I have with him. Now I'm gonna read you a passage of scripture to give you some clarity around what manna actually looks like, okay? So one of the passages I'm gonna read from this morning is in Numbers 11 from verse seven. It says the manna actually describes what it looked like. Was like coriander seed and looked like resin. Doesn't look like bread at this stage, eh? Doesn't look like white flakes. Looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot and made it into loaves. And it tasted like something made of olive oil. So it tasted like, like something made of olive oil. Now you may re have read that passage that says that manna tastes like honey. There is a passage that says that. But let me just pause here quickly. What these guys needed to do, God would provide manna for them daily, every day. They needed to collect it, consume it, and then they weren't supposed to store it so God can give them fresh manna the next day. But once they received the manna from God, it wasn't edible yet. They had to process it. They had to turn it into something. They had to crush it in a hand mill. They had to crush it in a mortar, and then they, there seemed to be some sort of powder that they then baked into a loaf. Now, in this case, this baker made it taste like olive oil, and in the other case, the baker made it taste like honey, apparently, if you look at that other passage. But the point is, the manna needed to be processed and turned into something. It needed to be turned into bread. Now, when we look at Scripture, the word bread often has more than one meaning. We know, for example, that when we look at bread, look at communion, the body of Jesus was represented as bread. Jesus actually said that you shall not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. So in this case, it looks like bread represents the word of God. It speaks about sustenance, about God sustaining our spirit with his word. And for the Hebrews, there were two types of bread that they would look at. They would look at manna. When they look at manna, they would see the significance of the word that God gave through manna. And then there was another type of bread called shoe bread. Shoe bread. And this was a bread that was placed on the table once a week. And then the, the priests would eat that bread once a week. But it was visible for everybody to see. And that was also a symbol of God's word. Now you might be asking, what does bread have anything to do with prayer? 
What does bread have anything to do with bread? Good question. The disciples asked Jesus one day. They were just as confused as I was, as I am actually. Jesus, teach us how to pray. It's awesome because they're actually praying to Jesus, saying, Lord, we're asking you, we're praying to you, teach us how to pray. Then he responds and he gives them a lesson on prayer. And then you might know this passage. It's in Matthew 6, verse 9 to verse 13 I'm gonna read, uh, to verse 11 I'm gonna read. It says this. Then this is how you should pray, Jesus said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. Now for the Israelites, God provided for them daily bread in the form of manna. Daily bread. Once they received this daily bread, they needed to work it. They needed to transform it until they could eat it and ingest it and digest it and it became part of them. Give us this day our daily bread. And when I read this passage for the first time when I was just a teen, I, never, I couldn't understand it. I mean, there's a whole bunch of really cool things in there. But then someone said to me, Jacques, what you need to do when you receive scripture like this, when you receive manna like this, slow it down a bit. Look at each word independently. Look at each line independently and see what God's trying to say. So for example, our father, God can be our father. That's awesome. In heaven, that's where he is. And it was cool. So he can go through this whole thing like this. I want to slow down on for a little bit is that last part in verse 11 that says, give us today our daily bread. And what that meant for me for many years and still does today is that we must ask God for our daily sustenance. God wants to provide daily for us. He wants to provide. That's what he wants to do. And Jesus is saying, ask your Father in heaven to provide for you daily. Awesome. But I think there's also a deeper meaning here, a deeper spiritual truth. I think what Jesus is also saying is, when you speak to your Father in heaven, ask him for daily word. Ask God to speak to you daily. Remember, bread is also a symbol of God's word. You shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Ask God to speak to you daily. And what I've just done is taken that passage that was manna to me, and I've taken some time to grind it and to process it and to make it understandable for me and hopefully for you as well. Another part of this passage speaks about the name of God. So what does Jesus, how does he start this prayer? He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? Hallowed be your name. That means to make God's name holy, okay? Now let me ask this question. What is God's name? It's one of the names. I am, Yah. What does that mean? I am. And therein lies the manner. Therein lies the fact that you and I need to take this manner. Lord, your name is I am. What does that mean? And it's your responsibility as a believer to take the manner and to crush it and to shape it and transform it and bake it into something that's edible and understandable and ingestible. Another one of God's name is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. What does that mean? What does the Lord is my banner mean? If we just read the passage, it doesn't make sense until we slow down enough and say, Lord, 
Speak to me daily and clarify this for me. Turn this manna into bread that I can consume. I'm not gonna tell you what that means. I'm gonna allow you to take the manna and process it yourself. Jehovah Tikkunu, the Lord is my righteousness. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is here. He's here. So now what Jesus is saying is, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We need to get some clarity around what God's name is, what his names are and what they mean. Then he says, what he's saying is, ask according to God's name. What that means is we need to ask what is contained within God, contained within God's character, contained within his will. Then there's a passage that says that Jesus is the name above every other name. Jesus is the name above every other name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus, hallowed be your name. What does Jesus mean? What is contained within Jesus? I'm hoping as I ask this question, you might have some answers. If not, that means you need to take the manna and you need to process it and get some clarity around it. I've heard people say that prayer doesn't work for me. That used to be me as well. Prayer doesn't work for me. Prayer will never work for you if you keep treating prayer like a vending machine. You got your order. You're ready to go. You rock up at this vending machine and you put your money in and you place your order. You're very specific. I want chips, salt and vinegar flavor. Push the button. Hopefully that comes out. If salt and vinegar doesn't come out, and you get free chutney instead, it's a little bit frustrating, eh? But at least it's chips, so you're like, no, I can deal with this. But when you ask for chips and you get a bar one, now that's frustrating. I didn't ask for this. You gave me something I didn't want. What's even worse is when I put the money in this machine and nothing comes out. Lord, I've asked you, I've hit the button, I've been very specific, and now I haven't received Very challenging. And the passage that made it even more difficult to me was this. I'm gonna read it to you and then I'm gonna help you understand a little bit what the Lord has showed me around this verse. It's in John 14, verse 14. It says, you may ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. This is Jesus speaking. He's saying, guys, you, you, you may ask for what? Anything in whose name? In my name, yeah. So what I would do when I'd pray, I'd be like, I would say the words, Jesus, I pray in your name. I'm not saying don't use those words. I, I will still continue using those words. And it has a nice sort of over and out feel, hey, when you finish with the prayer, Lord, I pray in your name. Everybody says, amen. It's a nice way to end the message also, but that's not what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. What he is saying is, you, us, we may ask for anything in his name. What he is saying is, you may ask for anything that is contained within his name. for anything that is in God's will. So what I would do with this passage, I wouldn't interpret it like that. I would say, Lord, I pray in your name. Please give me a Mercedes Benz, amen. Oh, no Mercedes Benz. Was I wrong? Did I misinterpret the scripture? Yes, because that was my will. This passage doesn't say, ask for anything you want in your name, because that contains your will. Now the deeper question is, what is God's will? And that's what you need to figure out. You cannot sustain a spiritual diet 
on shoe bread alone. The shoe bread was placed on the table on Sabbath once a week. It was available for the whole community to see. Everybody gathered around this table. Everybody saw the bread there. But you cannot sustain a spiritual diet of bread once a week, of word once a week. You cannot. Jesus says you need to have a diet of manna, daily bread. And that's no one's responsibility except your own responsibility. I cannot take responsibility for your spiritual growth. The shoe bread that John hands out or the shoe bread that we hand out from this pulpit, a pulpit is once a week. It's not enough. We understand this principle when it comes to our physical bodies, eh? And we eat three times a day. I mean, imagine eating once a week when you're eating now on Sunday. And then again after that, no, next week, Sunday. No one can survive that way. We know that when it comes to our physical bodies. But when it comes to our spiritual being, we miss this. And yet Jesus says we must ask God. Ask him for daily bread. Ask him to speak to you. And yet we don't. Now what does all this have to do with winsome? Why don't you first lay a foundation for prayer? I've always seen God answer stuff and I ask in his name and I'm praying according to his will. I never could understand why that happened. Whenever I prayed something, Lord, I'm praying this, this is your will, I know scripture says this is your will, and then I see results, then I pray for the Mercedes, I don't see the results because I'm trying to twist God's word. Now let me give you something that isn't God's will. Jesus says we must pray for this, okay? Look, listen to what Jesus says. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now what is the harvest? The harvest is everyone who doesn't know Jesus. That's the harvest. He's speaking about reaching the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then Jesus say, now pray. He's telling us what to pray for, which means this is directly in the name of Jesus. This is God's will. Then he says, now ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into the harvest field. This is something that Jesus wants us to pray for. He's very specific about this. There's no hidden meaning in in there. He's saying is, a lot of people don't know me. A lot of people are gonna perish. There's not enough workers. Now pray. Now pray and ask God to send the workers. Who are the workers? We've already established that the harvest is every single person on this planet who doesn't know Jesus. That's a harvest. Every single person. Lord, should I, should I pray for that person? Yes, they don't know Jesus, pray for them. Yes, 100%. Now, who, is, who are the workers? Every single believer on this planet is a worker. But the active workers are few. Now, Jesus is saying, pray that the Lord would send out the workers. But he's saying, pray that the Lord would send out you and me. And this is scary. We know that God answers these prayers. Can I just say, it doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be scary. You don't have to go in there, guns blazing. You don't have to. Why don't you just start small? Pray for them. Pray for them. Start small. Just start building relationship with them. Invite them over for dinner, maybe. Invite them to church, maybe. But I do believe that every believer needs to know how to lead someone to the Lord. I believe that. And at some stage, I'm hoping we'll be able to train you how to do that. 
but at least for now, why don't we pray for them, invest in relationships, and invite them to meet Jesus. I'm gonna give you a short story, then I'm gonna wrap it up. It's around prayer and praying for the harvest. I, I, there was this guy who was in school with me, I'm gonna call him James. This oak was just not a good guy. Like, he was rough. Um, uh, he was rough. This oak sold drugs at school, right? At school. And, uh, and uh, you would have parties, like, like really wild parties. Like every sin you could think of would happen there at these events. And I got invited to these parties. And the Lord really protected me against a lot of these things, but, but it was wild. I saw it was wild. And then I was always disappointed because I became a Christian in high school. That's where I met this guy, James, and I never shared my faith with him. Never, never went up to him once and, and told him about Jesus, not once. And then about a year after that, a year after my trick, I took a gap year, worked at a clothing store called Soweto. It was a designer clothing store. Uh, that's also why I'm looking so sharp this morning. <laughs> you may have noticed that I matched my handbag with my outfit. <laughs> but while I was working at this clothing store, I just got a burden for this guy. I just started caring intensely about where he was gonna go. Was he, does he have a relationship with Jesus? And it just bugged me. Then I just said, Lord, I, I don't have any connection with him anymore. I made a mistake by not connecting with him, but I don't, I don't know where he is. I don't know how to connect with him. Lord, I just wanna pray for him. Please send out a worker. Please send someone to connect with him. Please send someone to share the gospel with him. And one day while I was at the shop, one of my friends came in, Andrew, and he was also friends with James. And Andrew said, bro, remember James? I said, yeah. He said, this guy's now a believer and writing Christian music. When we pray in the name of Jesus, he answers. Our responsibility is to take the manner, to figure out what God's will is and to pray according to his will, not according to our will. We're gonna take a moment and pray. We're gonna pray for the harvest. We're gonna pray for the workers. I'm gonna ask you to stand and then we're gonna pray. I don't know if we've succeeded in making the congregation understand how important reaching the lost is. I don't know, I hope we have. If it's not something that's important for you at the moment, please just for a few seconds, just realize how important this is. God loved the world so much that he gave his son, his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him would not perish, okay? So God, God gives his son to die for the lost, important. God takes this stuff seriously. So what I'm gonna ask you to do as a congregation is to pray with me, and it's gonna be uncomfortable for some of you, and that's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable in church sometimes. I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna want you to pray with me for the harvest. We're gonna pray for the workers.